No new patrons to thank this week, so instead, I'd like to give a shout-out to a longtime Patreon supporter of the show, Brian McGem. Brian is from New Zealand, and he would like to give a shout-out of his own to his favorite queer non-profit, Rainbow Youth, which works towards creating social change by providing support, information, resources, and advocacy for queer, gender-diverse, native communities, and intersex young people across New Zealand. Thanks to my patrons, I was able to pay Ryan Whedon to do the music editing for this episode. Thanks, Ryan, for all your hard work. And now, here's the show. And I was like, do you have your period? And my mom was just like, I I don't really want to talk about that right now. So I read, you know, like the digestive system and the nervous system. And then it was like, oh my gosh, gametes. And I was like, what's a BJ? And everyone turned to me and, you know, gave me this look like, you don't know what a BJ is? Gay sex in particular was like, I couldn't even fathom, like, what happened or how it happened. And so then she gave me the sex talk, which involved a really disturbing book of two white people in a bathtub together. I was like, Mom, why does that boy have a ponytail between his legs? My stepmom was like, hey, do you know how the fish got pregnant like that? And I was like, no. I think I was like, I'm going to have sex. And she was like, what? I'm going to bump butts. (laughs) Welcome to Fruit Bowl, an oral history of queer sex. I'm your host and the creator of Fruit Bowl, Dave Quantic. Five years ago, I started interviewing queer people about their coming of age and the different ways we discover our sexual identities. Since then, I've presented four seasons of Fruit Bowl episodes that feature just one queer person's sexual history. This season, I'm picking through the Fruit Bowl archives, searching hundreds of hours of past conversations about queer sex, and creating episodes that explore common themes and subjects from a diverse cross-section of queer people. My goal is to destigmatize and promote conversation about queer sex and, in the process, reveal the strength, resilience, and fierce individuality of queer people and, at the same time, discover what unites us. Sex Ed, Volume 1. The Secrets of Sex. When I was in grade school, a babysitter invited her boyfriend over while she was watching my sister and me, and I'm not exactly sure how the subject came up, but he told me that you could have sex through your fingertips. And I was at that exact age where I was old enough to know that sex was something that adults did, but I was too young to know exactly what sex was or what it required. And for years after that, Even after I gained a general idea of what typical heterosexual sex looked like from movies or TV shows, I was still convinced you could have intercourse with just your fingertips. But I could never ask anyone. Any curiosity about sex was considered taboo when I was growing up as a good Christian boy in small-town Kansas. I didn't even know what the names were for human anatomy, 
Once, just for laughs, I decided to mispronounce the name of my Sunday school teacher, Virginia. So I called her Vagina. And I'll never forget my friend Greg's expression when the word came out of my mouth. His eyes opened as far as they could, and he exclaimed, David! And I was like, what? I had no idea what I had said. And thankfully, I think Virginia knew that and just continued on with our lesson. I'm not really sure when I realized my transgression, but I definitely realized that that word was forbidden to say. The first three episodes of this season were spent setting the scene, introducing our parents, our families, and describing the different places we came from, and our ambivalence about our origins. But now we're starting at the beginning of our coming of age, the first introductions to the existence of sex, the many secrets that it holds, and the complex decisions that adults in our lives have made when it comes to explaining sex. Most parents have no idea how to talk about sex with their kids, but for many of us, the first time we ever knew sex was a thing was when we heard them, or maybe even walked in on our parents, actually doing it. If you listen to the first three episodes of this season, you'll remember some of those stories. Sometimes parents actually make an effort to talk to their kids about sex. But as you'll hear with this first group of stories, there are often mixed results. I'm Joshua and I'm 45. I first learned about the concept of sex in elementary school. It was probably like second or third grade. And it was fully explained to me by my mother when I came home with a question about it. You know, I think my, I think I didn't understand it. I think I had heard something at recess. Yeah, so I think that she remembers it like I was fully disgusted, you know, by it. Now, I don't know if that has anything to do with me being a little gay kid, a little queer kid. I don't think so. I think it was just, I was a kid, you know, who was being told that, you know, my father's penis was put inside of my mother's vagina. That was repugnant to me, and I didn't want to know that. And so, yeah, I mean, she she basically described it in a very kind of, like, medical way. And, I, you know, I don't think I really understood it. As far as actually having sexual feelings, you know, and, and maybe being able now to identify them as something sexual, you know, I do know that as far back as, like, the first Superman movie, I can remember being attracted to Superman. So, I mean, I didn't know that at the time, but I can now look back on my memory and go, oh, yeah, like, I was horny for Superman. My name's Putin. I'm 35 years old, and I graduated from high school in 2002. I was probably eight. I remember I had this fish tank, and, like, there was a guppy in there. It had just given birth or was about to at any moment. My stepmom was like, hey, do you know how the fish got pregnant like that? And I was like, no. And she's like, the fish had sex with another fish. And that's how it got pregnant. And that's how people get pregnant. They have sex with other people. And that's how they get pregnant. And that was it. That was the end of it. Nothing about like, the ins and outs of it, or obviously nothing about like 
having sex for fun or anything. It was very like, if you want to get someone pregnant, you need to have sex with them. Of course, I didn't want to get anyone pregnant, and I still don't want to get anyone pregnant. But yeah, that was the closest to like a conversation. It's funny to think back, but like I never had any kind of, I think that they did have sex eds classes, but it was an elective. Like it was something that you could take, but it wasn't like a requirement. I think the closest that I ever got to any kind of sex education, it was seventh or eighth grade. I remember one of my teachers just talking about STIs. If you're gonna have sex, you need to wear a condom. That was pretty much it. They're like, and these are all the things that you could get. You can get gonorrhea, you can get chlamydia. Like, you know, spent way more time on like the STIs than like anything about the sex itself or, I mean, obviously they weren't talking about gay sex. It was just kind of figured out. <laughs> My name is Andre and I'm 31. When I was like a little kid, my mom, she was stationed in Sicily. And so we went to Rome on a vacation and uh, we went to see these like, uh, you know, legendary sort of statues, like the Statue of David or whatever. And, you know, all of them have genitals. Uh, they're anatomically correct. And so I was like, mom, why does that boy have a ponytail between his legs? <laughs> And she was like, uh, well, because m boys have ponytails between their legs. And I'm like, it looks weird and uncomfortable. <laughs> and she's like, well, maybe it is sometimes. So she continued calling the penis a ponytail between the legs? Like she didn't correct you? Yeah, I, th I think that she just like went with it. I mean, I was probably like four at this point in time. And then she like did proceed, I guess, while we were on the topic to sort of give me the rundown of like, you know, that boys have swimmers and then my dad's swimmers were really like athletic swimmers. And so they like made it. And now she doesn't want to have any more kids. And so she had her tubes tied. And so I definitely just imagined like a doctor cutting her open and that there are these like clear tubes and that they like tied a bow and like sewed her up, you know? My name is Salvador and I'm 39 years old. I graduated high school in 1998. I was around four or five years old uh, when my parents talked to us about sexual reproduction um, in a way that four or five-year-olds could understand. They talked about um, that a sperm comes from a man and that it swims to a woman's egg to make a baby. Our parents described it in a way that didn't involve any like shame or you know, disgust about human anatomy. I think they kept it a little bit clinical because we were so young, but also because I, I don't think that they wanted to like paint such an abstract picture about it that we would still have questions about it later.
My name is Nathan. I am 37 years old and I graduated high school in the year 2000. I remember getting in trouble at an early age because somebody had told me what sex was, that it was the penis goes into a vagina. And I told a peer that, and then she told her parents that I told her that. So like, I do remember getting into like, my mom being like, you can't tell people that. Like, <laughs> um, and it wasn't like, you know, we like, didn't like experiment or anything, but I like, was like, oh my God, did you know? And like, you know, kids. Um, so that was probably my first, I mean, I guess that's my first memory of like, actually finding out what it was and being like, you know, oh my God. I would have been like, Six or seven, maybe somewhere in there. Seven, maybe eight. I don't know, somewhere in there. Yeah, my mom's always been good at that stuff. You know, she's a realist and she's, you know, got a great sense of humor and, you know, she's pretty open about stuff. But I mean, my stepdad had a talk with me. Um, and it was probably around 12 or 13, I would guess. And it was weird. I mean, I don't know. It was like, you know, it's straight. 60-year-old Italian man talking to a 13-year-old queerdo. I mean, I don't know, like, sure, thanks. He tried. I mean, you know, it was always a pretty safe space. Um, my mom and I have just had a really open dialogue forever. I don't think there was ever a moment where she was like, this is, these are the birds and the bees. Um, I don't really even know what that talk is, to be honest. I don't know how one one has that talk. I, I feel like it's just an ongoing dialogue. But, you know, she was always honest with her own stuff with me, and and we've had, you know, growing up in, into my adult life, we've had a very, like, strangely open and honest relationship. I tell her what's going on. Like, if something happened at the STI clinic, like, oh, let her know, it's fine. Like, no shame in my game. It's good to have that openness, but no, there was never a, this is how you do this talk. Yeah. Thank God, I think. <laughs> Some family members see a young person's ignorance about sex as an opportunity to sexually abuse them. This next story is the first of two examples in this episode of a complete breakdown of family communication and trust, and the failure of parents to protect and support their kid after abuse has taken place. My name is Elliot. I am 27, and I graduated high school in 2012. I experienced uh, sexual abuse with um, one of my siblings when I was uh, probably like pre-K and maybe into kindergarten, first grade. Somewhere in that time period was the main amount of time where that happened. At that time, I was a young girl um, experiencing it from a sibling who was a woman. And so this confusion around, did I ask for this? Did I enjoy this? Should I have not? Like so much that was swirling around that, that of course that really built on a lot of shame that couldn't get unpacked until later when I had a therapist to be like, oh, of course I felt these ways. It doesn't mean that I'm a bad person. There's a lot that happened there that shouldn't have happened. And so I think that was an, an additional layer of like women with women. Does this feel bad? I think it feels bad because it's my sibling, but I like women that doesn't feel bad. So that being really complicated, and there was no one to like unpack that with. But that wasn't a conversation I felt like I could have um, with my parents. And when I finally told my parents what had happened, the response I got was like, not really supportive or helpful or understanding. It was just kind of like annoyed that I was bringing it up. So the concept of sex even in the beginning was also like not, of course, the greatest introduction. But I feel like I learned really young that I was like, here's what my body is. And it probably came from abuse where I was like, I already understand how to like stimulate 
um, my genitals and, and rub on things and feel that feeling, um, but not necessarily having all the connection or understanding to like what was going on or when it would be appropriate to do that and when would not be, not knowing that fully because it was not a conversation that my parents were having with me actively. It was like, oh, okay, got it. <laughs> Learning after doing it. Some parents lean on books to do the heavy lifting when it comes to their kids' questions about sex. My name's Jai. I am 29 years old and I graduated high school in 2008. I grew up in Orange County, California, uh, the city of Orange. <laughs> Growing up there, I don't think I realized just how conservative it was. Um, it wasn't until I moved away to another conservative town um, <laughs> that I realized um, that it was pretty conservative. Um, and it, it's, it explained a lot for me because I didn't make a lot of friends during my high school years. Like, I never felt like I fit in. I grew up predominantly with a single parent. My dad passed away when I was about six years old. Um, so it was my brother, my mom and I, and we were very close. We still are. We're all very similar people. My brother's an artist, I'm an artist. The passing of my father created, you know, a, a huge shift in our, in our family dynamic. Um, but I also, my mom was very, she talked a lot about it with me growing up. You know, that was something that she would never shied away from. And so I think from that point, we were always pretty open with each other. But I also, growing up, had a very hard time talking about anything that had to do with like challenges I was going through or um, my sexuality um, or anything like puberty wise, like I just like shut down. <laughs> and that was just like, I think my personality, I don't think I knew how to grapple with it. Um, and I don't think I had mentors necessarily like outside of my family. So I didn't know how to relate perhaps. Um, so that was challenging. I know for my mom, because I think she wanted to have like a more open relationship and I was like really closed off. I was given books like during puberty. <laughs> um, my body, myself, I think it was called. My grandmother gave it to me. <laughs> I think no one talked to her about getting her period. So then she didn't want that to happen to me. So she gave it to me. And I think that she thought it would be received better because it wasn't my mom, but I was so upset. <laughs> I learned about sex um, from a book that I read in the third grade about the human body. It was quite precocious, so it was probably maybe for a middle schooler. So I read, you know, like the digestive system and the nervous system, and then it was like, oh my gosh, gametes. But I was not a cool kid. I was super queer and I didn't know it. I mean, I knew it, but I didn't know it yet. And I just like went to the library a lot after school because it was across the street from my elementary school. And my parents told me that I had to be a doctor in this like really stereotypical like Jewish way. So it was just like, I should probably read a lot about science. And so there's like no other reason. It wasn't like I was actively finding it, but like once that, you know, like knowledge was gleaned, there was no turning back. But I, I didn't really, 
really understand what I was reading yet, but I knew that sperm and ovum existed from the third grade on. My name is Lillian, I'm 36 years old, and I graduated high school in 2002. I didn't necessarily get the talk, but I got a book. My parents got a book from the library, made it clear that it was in the basket of library books, and then left me home for an afternoon alone. So as an avid reader as a child, I did pick that up and look, and I remember there were a couple throwaway lines in that book about, you might also feel this way about someone of the same sex, and that's okay too. And nothing else. No talk about how the mechanics of that might work. No talk about any sort of, certainly no sort of intercourse other than PIV sort of sex, but there was a sort of passing mention that, okay, I suppose this might happen. And then as I started contemplating and learning more of the possibilities of heterosexual sex, I was at least able to generalize that for a lot of these things, the particular shapes of a particular bodies don't necessarily matter. If a man and a woman might make out and kiss and enjoy these things, why not other combinations of people? And I didn't particularly register why that might be a problem or why that might even be any different. The way that I remember learning about sex is from this book. Three different interviewees, Sam, Brianna, and Patrick, all have one very special book in common. I wish I could find the book. I actually have not looked for it, and I should. I actually found it online, like, a couple months ago, and I got a copy of it because I love it so much. <laughs> and it's called, Where Did I Come From? It was like a teach your kids about sex book without actually talking to them kind of thing. <laughs> it's all these cartoony, cute people. Two white people in a bathtub together. And they were like romantic and then they like got undressed and it went through all the stages of everything. And it was like when two people love each other very much. And it's like this cute little like almost twin size bed with a patchwork quilt. The guy was just like a, a normal looking guy, like almost a bear in a way. He, he was really hairy and he was balding on top and he had like a nice dick too. But I have a vivid memory of these two ugly white people in a bathtub together and being like, like weirded out by that. Then it's like when two people want to be really close, there's one way where they can be as close as humanly possible. <laughs> so that's that's kind of where I first like realized I was looking at him more than her, you know. And one of my favorite, favorite parts of it is where it's like, well, if, ha if, I think they call it making love. If making love feels so good, then why don't you do it all day long? And then they were like, it's kind of like jumping rope. <laughs> it's fun, but you can't do it all day long. <laughs> but it's just one of those things where if you're a parent that's uncomfortable about talking to your kid, you just give them this book. <laughs> I'm sure she kind of read the book through with me and then like, you know, allowed me to ask questions. But I do remember being really uncomfortable and feeling relieved that I got the information, but also kind of grossed out and freaked out by it. She's just the kind of person that doesn't really talk about sex in general, I think. So it just wasn't something she wanted to talk about with me. And I think my mom like did it with the best intentions. And still I came out of it thinking I was gonna get pregnant from sleeping in the same bed with my brother. <laughs> I probably should talk to my mom and see what she remembers about it. I think that would be fun. <laughs> I 
a quick public service announcement to any parents out there who might be listening. If you've hidden any adult media such as VHS tapes, DVDs, magazines, in a place that your kids would never find, you can be rest assured that they have already found it. They've read it, they've watched it, they've read and watched it again and again, and put it back exactly where they found it. Guaranteed. I'm Paul. I am currently 61. I graduated high school in 1975. Dr. David Rubin introduced illicit sex to me. There were a group of sex books that came out uh, in the 70s, everything you always wanted to know about sex but were afraid to ask. Mm -hmm. That was one of them. Little yellow book, and uh, it had some very problematic stuff in it, um, specifically about gay people. There was a specific description of gay men going to bowling alley restrooms and it described them tapping their feet in the stalls and making shameful connections in the bathroom, condemning it and saying how they were doomed to be unhappy their entire lives. Completely ignored all that stuff. I was focused on the restroom in the bowling alley. And suddenly I was like very aware of illicit sex. I suddenly imagined all these places that gay men were having sex there was like this curtain behind which I could not peek. And I was a teenager. I was really excited about sex. I, I wanted to find out about that. So I started to get very excited about going into men's rooms. And I did have sex in men's rooms. Yeah, that actually became a part of my early sexuality because of Dr. David Rubin, you know, trying to scare people about it. It actually sexualized it for me. I'm Nayland. I'm 59 years old, and I graduated high school in 1978. My parents never had the talk with me. I think just kind of mutual embarrassment around it. I didn't, you know, it's like I didn't want them to have the talk with me. <laughs> I think with a lot of things, they were just kind of like, well, he'll probably figure it out or... <laughs> I don't know if we can say that that it was like a sex positive household, but it was certainly like a sex adjacent household. Um, so so that we knew sex was around, <laughs> but it wasn't like so so it wasn't like it was like banished. It definitely was weirdly enough not brought up all that much. Um, the first time I learned about the mechanics of sex was reading science fiction and fantasy books. So people like Harlan Ellison and Theodore Sturgeon and Joanna Russ. And so a lot of that was sexually explicit. For me, a really big part of my sexual education was through written pornography and much less so through photographic pornography. My parents had some books that could be classified as as porn, Psychopathia Sexualis, the Marquis de Sade's um, Justine and Juliet. Uh, There's a book called My Secret Life, 
it's these um, sexual diaries of this Edwardian guy. And one of the things that was interesting in all of those books is that they were not um, compartmentalized in terms of straight and queer. So there were characters who were having all kinds of sex in all of those books. And it was only much later, as you went into the 80s, that porn books started to become very narrowly focused in terms of what they would have in them. Pulp porn, up to that point, it was sort of like enough, the writer was like churning out enough pages, it kind of didn't matter what was in them. They, you would have books that would have like lesbianism and incest and male sex and you know bondage and there it would all just sort of be thrown in there just to make up a page count. I saw these sort of sexual utopias depicted that were um, about a whole range of erotic subjects and objects. For me, they were very much tied up with my erotic life because like most magazine stores or or newsstands might have one or two porn novels like on the spinner rack with all of their other like pulp paperback books and you could sort of like figure out this was a good one or that or you know that that it was a lot easier as an adolescent to sort of sneak that in with your other purchases or to like find used copies at a used bookstore. And then when I got a bit older, I started to go down to Times Square to where there were these bookstores. Uh, I ended up finding out that there was like a much better value in buying a novel, <laughs> like buying a porn novel <laughs> because you got that many more scenes and like it might be like in the magazine, like maybe you thought somebody was hot or not, but like in the novel, you, you know, you could basically make up the difference in your own head. The first time I learned about queer sex was when I found my mom's um, erotica book. So she had this box under her bed of like naughty things, like a, I guess there was a vibrator or whatever. And she had these erotica books that were like art because she she was um, she was taking an art history class I think, and and it was it was called Erotica Three, and it was this thick. And at the end of the book, there was a painting of an Egyptian pharaoh fucking his slave. And I just remember looking at that and being like, oh my God, you know, and, and I think I was, I was pretty young um, and I cut it out of the book and took it and um, she noticed. <laughs> but that was, I think I was like seven when I came across that. I put it in underneath the mattress, in between the mattress and the box spring. And I just remember like that driving me crazy and like, curiosity. I think it was just like spitballed from there because I just remember sneaking down, watching Skinamax at four o'clock in the morning. Um, my mom had all of the real sex on DVD. <laughs> or not DVD, it was on, she would like, she would tape them and she would put them, she would put them in like non-labeled <laughs> video things. And I'd be like, mom, I'm going to bed. Take one of the VHSs upstairs and it was like real sex Real sex, take 30, you know. Um, so that was really actually informative because I watched all of those 
and learned how to suck dick. <laughs> you know, this, through the, the 90s documentary series of real sex. That was definitely like very formative. For most of us, our parents just weren't the type to ever bring up the subject of sex. But fortunately for us, there were our friends and peers at school. Unfortunately for many of us, the information we told each other was totally, completely, utterly wrong. Except for when it was kind of right. I have this memory of being, I think it was around like the third grade, and one of my classmates was like making moaning sounds during lunch. And this kid was obnoxious anyway, so I was like, whatever. But I feel like he had talked, I talked about seeing, I think, his parents accident, like walking in on them having sex. And I think that was like my first kind of understanding of what that sounded like anyway. I had this friend of mine named Lucy, and she had misinterpreted what her parents were telling her, and she thought that a penny goes in the vagina. So she was, like, stuffing pennies into herself, you know? And so she was doing that, apparently, and she was telling me about it. And then I was telling my mom about that, and she's like, well, not exactly. So my first name is Jalen. Um, I'm 41, and my hometown is Jackson, Mississippi. So I think I um, first learned about sex with friends uh, casually and usually pretty wrong about it, and family members um, having fun and their drunkenness, and barbershops, lots of barbershop talk. I mean, I recall a lot of, there was a lot of jokes, but things that I took seriously because I didn't know a lot about sex. And I actually recall one instance when um, one of the barbers was talking about um, someone putting a, a mouse up their ass. And I, and he essentially, you know, was using the F word um, uh, in reference to who it was. And so I thought that's what it meant to be gay is that you had to put mice up your ass. <laughs> Uh, my name is Pete. I am 43 years old, originally from Pennsylvania, Lancaster County. The first time I learned about sex was in elementary school. Um, walking home after school with a bunch of friends, probably maybe like the fourth grade, and some friends were talking about BJ's. And I was like, what's a BJ? And everyone turned to me and, you know, gave me this look like, you don't know what a BJ is? And I'm like, no. And they're like, well, it stands for blowjob. And I'm like, okay, so? And they're like, well, what do you think it is? And I'm like, I don't know. And through more teasing, I, I came to learn that it had to do with a penis and something that you did with it. And they're like, it's called a blowjob. So for the longest time, I thought sex meant you blow on my person. You like literally just And that was fun and exciting for some reason. My name's Carilla, I'm 28 years old and I graduated from high school in 2011. 
When I was in the fourth grade, I had this friend. She loved talking about sex, even though we were only like 10. And she would like talk about like giving blowjobs and talk about how she was like really excited to like have sex someday. And I was never like that, you know, I was, I was like, wow, that's really intense. Like we're in the fourth grade, but she was, yeah, would, would always kind of initiate these conversations around sex. And, um, as I've gotten older, I've been more comfortable talking about sex. Um, but more so when I was like maybe in my teens than when I was 10. So I don't know, I, I, I've consulted the internet a lot about sex and I find that like some of my friends even like have misconceptions about things. And so I'm, I've been very frequently been the person that's like, let's debunk this myth that like you shouldn't be having an orgasm during sex, like, or that like sex shouldn't be just as pleasurable for you as it is for a man. You know, let's have a conversation around like whether there's sperm and pre-cum, like let's have a conversation around birth control. Um, so I've talked a lot about sex with my friends um, in an educational way, but it also in a, like a encouraging them to feel more like liberated way. Um, but I can't think of a friend that, other than that friend in the fourth grade who like talked a lot, of, a lot about sex, um, who, you know, has really taught me anything. I didn't have sex all through like high school. I didn't actually lose my virginity until I was 20, mostly because that was the rule, right? That was the fear. But I would still like talk to my friends about like they would be having sex with their boyfriends. I never dated anybody. I was just like too terrified and I would never put myself out there like that. And I was also like more of a shy teenager. But I always had like a curiosity and when it came time for me to have sex, I felt like okay, I've like had all of the conversations with people, I've done all the research and like, I know what I'm doing. Um, but that's cause like, I'm a, I'm a nerd and I'm an overachiever. And I just like felt like I needed to thoroughly research this thing. And now, I don't know, as I've like gotten more comfortable with myself, I want other people to be more comfortable with themselves. It sounds like your research really paid off. Yeah, in a way. I mean, there's, some things that you won't ever know until you do them. <laughs> um, and to this day, I still ask like my friends questions about sex um, more than I probably did when I was like a teenager. As an adult, I'm more comfortable asking people really pointed questions. Like, you know, I asked a group of friends like a couple weeks ago how to give a prostate massage because I'd never given one before. So um, that was a fun conversation where, you know, I'm sitting around a table with a bunch of bears and they're explaining to me how to give a great prostate massage. What were their tips? Uh, lots of lube, honey. Gotta just lube it up. Be very generous with it. <laughs> and um, yeah, make sure they're clean beforehand. So, you know, there's a lot of there's some pre-work in that. My name is Lillian, I'm 36 years old, and I graduated high school in 2002. The first time I remember learning about the idea of sex must have been second or third grade. It was an evening, and my best friend and I were walking up the hill from the baseball field to the school. 
and he told me that girls don't have a penis. They have a hole there. And I remember him drawing a little circle in the dirt with his foot. And he said, when they want to have a baby, he puts his penis in there. And I got this mental image of a married couple and the man is about to go to the bathroom, but he says to his wife, hey, I feel like I got to pee. Do you want to trail off? And that was my mental image at, I guess, eight years old. It became somewhat more clear over the next few years as I started watching more PG-13 and more mature media. There was definitely a sort of just growing understanding. My name's Josh. I'm 43 and I graduated high school in 1994. You know, I had friends, you know, like really close friends. We would talk about it and sometimes they would explain stuff to me. I mean, I kind of knew the mechanics of like, I think because of my sister's like vaginas and penises and stuff. And I knew like I kind of knew how the whole thing worked, you know, but gay sex in particular was like I couldn't even fathom what like what happened or how it happened, you know, like. To me, like, you know, two men fucking was like beyond belief. I didn't even, I think maybe I didn't even realize or think that it really happened, that people really did that, you know? I could sort of intellectualize sex as a a young kid. Like I understood it and understood what happened, but the actual like conception of it, like in reality was, there was like a disconnect in my mind, you know? I think I was quite, prudish in a way because I had such a stern view of sex you know the people that I knew that had sex were always very troubled I knew a lot of people that had like girls in my life that had children out of wedlock or you know you know children then when they were teenagers and I uh family like family members that I knew and they always you know had such I saw that they had such a hard time with it and plus I was gay which I knew was wrong you know and I, I knew that I could never tell anybody about that you know that it was something I probably had to like take to my grave or something and I think maybe I that was another reason why I felt like this really weird intellectual distance from it it was kind of like I knew that maybe it wasn't something that I I was ever going to be a part of or something, you know, uh, because I knew I, I wanted to be with men and, you know, and I knew that was sort of forbidden. Predators take advantage of the information vacuum created when a young person doesn't know what sex is or what it looks like. In this next story, Deontay describes a sexual assault by his babysitter and looks squarely at his family's failure to listen to him or do anything about it. I think the first time I ever heard about sex... was probably when I was molested. I was very young, and I was eight years old. And a babysitter asked me to perform oral sex on them. And of course, like, in my head, I didn't internalize what that looked like. Did I say no? No, I didn't. Did I do it? Yeah. Did I tell after I did it? Yes. Because I knew that it wasn't right. And I was one of those kids that was like, 
I'm telling. I told everything. Like my my family would tell you that I'm just like this big ass tattletale. So I remember telling people. I wasn't expecting for them to be like to rescue me because at the end of the day, I don't even have a language for what happened. I just know that something happened. I didn't know that it was actually there was a word for it, molestation, but I knew that I was young and I knew that whatever I was just doing made me feel very uncomfortable. I remember telling an adult and the adult just kind of just saying, like, don't really say anything. So I guess, like, even me talking about it is bad. So I guess I won't say anything at all. A lot of people from our generation before us and the ones before that, it's like, we sweep under the rug. We don't have conversations about being touched because it happened to them. Don't say anything. You know, we don't have time for that. You have to go to school. I have to keep up with appearances. Talking to a lot of my friends as I'm getting into high school about what their experiences has been like. And they're like, oh, I've been molested. And I'm like, oh, what the hell is that? I caught my friend in high school, ninth grade. He was cheating on my, one of my friends, my homegirl. And I remember saying like, ooh, motherfucker, I'm gonna tell on you, you know? <laughs> and I remember running and him running up to me and putting his hands on my mouth. And I, at that point, I remembered everything. That point, like I remembered everything. About what had happened. happened. Reconfronting the same people that I told and And it was still the same reaction, you know? In our communities, it's, it's like an out of sight, out of mind, we sleep under the rug. Even bringing it up to them recently, it made them feel very uncomfortable. Because now I'm so adult now, I can, internalize what they're saying and say, well, did that ever happen to you? And what does that look like for you? I talk openly about it now because I have freedom from it. I know the people that I told still don't have freedom from theirs. That's the real sad part about that. As you might have guessed, I found plenty of examples of our public education's failure to provide any truly useful information when it comes to discussions about sex, intimacy, consent, or family planning. My first name is Lizzie. My current age is 29. And I graduated high school. <laughs> I have to think about this <laughs> in 2008. I think I heard about sex like second or third grade. Probably because I had two older brothers and, you know, they liked to talk about everything, even in front of me. I heard a lot of stuff and I didn't really get what it was, you know, I was just like, well, that's weird. In grade school, in like fifth grade, they taught us about like, periods and stuff. I remember having that class and like the boys and the girls separating. And I'm sure, so I went to Catholic school. So, you know, obviously they teach like abstinence first, but they definitely did. Cause like Catholic schools in Seattle oftentimes are like still kind of like liberal. Um, they still did like talk about condoms. Like they weren't that bad, but I mean, it was like very religious, you know, 
And then in high school, we also had sex education, but I was long far, like, that, we, that was far past when I had, you know, done that situation. So. I think from very early on, I was just like, sex is, can be between whoever, because I saw some things in porn, you know? I think one time my mom was like, I don't really need to have a talk with you, right? And I was like, yeah, no, you don't need to have a talk with me. And she's like, cool, got it. And that was it. <laughs> And then she bought me birth control um, when I went to high school. <laughs> my name is Anders. I'm 33 years old and I graduated from high school in 2004. When I was in health class in the sixth grade, I learned about what a period was and I'd never heard about it before. And, you know, they give you the little packet of, like, deodorant and pads, and you're like, congratulations. And I was absolutely shocked. I was like, surely they have fixed us by now. Yeah, like, obviously <laughs> we've moved past this. This is not an acceptable thing to happen. <laughs> like, I remember nonchalantly, like, looking around the room, trying to, like, see if this was news to anybody else. And uh, I don't, like, everybody was just bored in class, like, trying not to laugh at diagrams of like uteruses so I mean I'd like to think after getting over like the shock of oh my god periods are a thing at that point I'm like okay there are no more surprises I think I've got this whether or not I understood the whole picture is to be suspect but like I knew where babies come from I I knew I couldn't get pregnant from like rubbing elbows with somebody I knew that, like, you know, you should use a condom and that kind of thing. Like, I, I had those basics, but, like, more specific things, like, like medically accurate, like, STI risks and whatnot, and, uh, you know, all, like, HPV-1, simplex virus, like, all that stuff. I, I definitely didn't have a sense of that then. My name is Nathan, I'm 29, and I graduated high school in 2009. Fourth grade came up, and you know, I, I definitely heard about how health class was gonna happen in like fifth and sixth grade. And there was this like awareness that like, if you told your parents, they might sign something that like prevents you from learning about it. And it was like all the Christian like community talks about it. And so they're like, oh, like beware, like the kids are gonna learn health, so look out for the permission slip. So you can sign it so they don't learn about it. And so I just like did not tell my parents. I was like, mm, I don't know what we're talking about. Like no health class. And so then I learned about sex through health class. And it was very, again, systematic. Like this is about, you know, creating a baby and here's what your puberty is going to do. And nothing about like pleasure or like intimacy or there, there was like this concept of like procreation happens after you're married in Christianity and then you're going to have babies and the two become one means sex. So, you know, that's sex. And you're like, okay. And then like, I started getting obviously like aroused by everything around me, which is why it took me such a long time to come out. Cause it was just like, I had this weird duality of just being attracted to like women and men. And so I was like, oh, like one of these is wrong. One of these is right. And that's why a homosexuality is wrong. Cause like, I need to procreate. I need to like be with this person and create this one triune like thing with God. And so um, that's the way to go. 
my name is Isabella, uh, and I'm currently 32 years old, um, and I graduated high school in 2005. So we had uh, an abstinence program in my high school, uh, which was super strict, um, and uh, I did not like it. Uh, one is because of the fact that, like, um, in my high school graduating class alone, I think there were maybe 13 girls who were pregnant, you know, so it was like, clearly this abstinence program's not working. We kind of formed, my friends and I, this, like, little group of, like, um, counter-educational kids that were teaching ourselves about sex education. And it was so accessible because we had the internet. And so we would just look up stuff on the internet and teach ourselves. And we had this little like uh, weird circle of kids who were educating ourselves. I remember we talked a lot about dental dams. Uh, that was a really big thing. The idea of even talking about a condom was like wild, but the idea of talking about a dental dam talking about how to have safe oral sex when you're eating out of pussy was like, the idea of that was so revelatory. And I just remember being obsessed <laughs> with the idea of putting your face on a pussy. Like I just was like, I just, the idea of, of it, putting your face on it, I just never, it, it, it fascinated me. Syra. I'm 30 years old and I graduated high school in 2009. Sex Ed was an absolute joke. We had a drunk gym teacher um, in the most stereotypical scenario who laughed at us a lot of the times when people were uncomfortable, including purposefully assigning a child with a lisp to do like <laughs> a presentation on syphilis. You know, he was a cruel, strange man. <laughs> We all sat there just trying to hold it together as this poor boy with his tiny Edgar Allan Poe mustache kept saying syphilis. That was our sex ed class in high school, yeah. I have no clue what he was supposed to be teaching. <laughs> Lord knows what Mr. Gardner was supposed to be teaching us. Um, because we just kind of ran around in that class. People kind of just did whatever they wanted. It was basically a study hall. <laughs> and if he liked you, you could pass by doing nothing. And if he didn't like you, you might have to write a paper or two. And it was, yeah, it was just a joke either way. Internet age, right? Young queer kids, a lot of us, yeah, we're already either experimenting, dating, fucking, looking up porn. Like we had all, a lot of us had already started figuring things out by the time they were trying to talk to us about STIs or talk to us about, I don't even know if they talked about protection. <laughs> I was in school in Virginia, so it was abstinence-only education. So I remember it being like a big deal that we were gonna have the sex day, you know? And I separated the genders. And um, and then I remember coming in and on the board, it was like objectives. It's like, go over 25 ways, dot, dot, dot. And I was like, oh my God, there's 25 ways to have sex. I was like, this is crazy. Like I was ready to have my mind blown. I'm like, what could that even be? I'm like, mouth. But I don't even think butt was like in there, right? But I was just like, whoa, 25 ways. And then she comes in and she hands out a worksheet that says 25 ways to say I love you without touching your partner. 
<laughs> it was like cook dinner together, talk about feelings, you know. Um, so that was my sexual health education. Um, thank you, Virginia Public Schools. I just wasn't really interested in sex, so I didn't really talk to people about it. Like, I had some vague idea that it was something that teenagers do, and it was something that made parents mad when teenagers do it. And some people get pregnant, and that's the worst thing that can ever happen to you. I think that was my general understanding of sex, but I didn't really probe further into it because I wasn't really that interested in it. And it, to some extent, I found it really alienating because I wasn't really interested in sex, but it didn't really feel like I could say that. And so, like, I remember, for instance, people always like, oh, who do you have a crush on? Like, who do you think is cute? And I remember just, like, making up this guy in one of my classes and being like, oh, lol. And I remember, like, um, drawing, like, his name with, like, hearts around it or something in my notebook. So that way people would see it and it would seem like a more credible claim that I had, like, a crush on him. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I was definitely just like really resentful that this thing kept coming up that was like, I was like, ah, oh, can we just talk about something like real or interesting? Like, why do we have to talk about this thing? Why is someone, like, why is it that other people around me's attention is increasingly focused on this thing that I'm not actually that interested in and can't relate to, but also I'm like making up these lies to seem like I am interested in it so I just felt really like uncomfortable and you know I think part of that was also around like being trans right and sort of just having just having I think on some level like I knew I just had all this other stuff to figure out first because you know I guess if you're not identifying really with your body the idea that you would be naked in front of someone else just seems terrible um and the idea that you would ever like have pleasure from your body was just like not something that made sense or that i could relate to my name is drew i'm 39 years old and i graduated high school in 2000. i got sex ed when i was in grammar school from a priest. So we had a female teacher and then the priest would come and take all the boys out and go to like an empty classroom and tell us slightly different versions of how sex works, I guess, which seems weird. It was diagrams and it was uh, explanations of what different organs do. And then it was the idea that like, if you're having sex, you're doing it with someone you love to create life together. And that's this precious thing that you don't want to spoil on someone that you're not making a baby in. So, yeah, abstinence. And we're not going to tell you about anything that's not vaginal sex. And certainly nothing you can do to skirt around the problem of really wanting to have sex if you're not married. My dad had a discussion with me that I feel on some way was mandated by the school where I had to understand how AIDS was transmitted Without getting myself in too much trouble, I had to be like, I, I, I know how to use a condom. I went to Catholic school until partway through high school, and then I transferred to public school. So it was the public school that would have uh, encouraged that, that conversation to happen. The internet is an endless source of media and information about all different kinds of sex. But even before the internet, we were using media as a means of exploring sexuality. Here are just a few from the pre-internet age that don't include porn. 
I'm saving those stories for an entirely separate episode coming up next. For now, here are a few stories about some unlikely sources of information about sex and intimacy. The first time I ever learned about the idea of sex, it might be Look Who's Talking. Look Who's Talking is a movie where Christy Alley plays a pregnant lady, and I don't remember who plays the love interest, but half of the action is her, and half the action is her fetus, which eventually becomes a baby, you know, because that's how that works, um, who is voiced by Tony Danza or Danny DeVito or someone like that. It is the mom experiencing motherhood, and then the baby has a voiceover. That might be... The first time I was getting an idea for what that was. So if it wasn't Christy Alley who taught me about that, then it was probably the Bible. And I realized those are like the saddest answers ever. I remember there's a Facts of Life where Natalie loses her virginity. And she's the first of the four girls to have sex. And it's really surprising. She makes a decision that everyone else is like shocked by. And to the point that uh, Lisa Welchel, who played Blair didn't appear in the episode. She's just gone from that episode because she was so Christian that she was like, I can't be associated with the idea of this girl choosing to have sex out of wedlock while in college. The first time I learned about queer sex, unfortunately, was probably almost certainly the Bible because uh, as they teach you fairly young, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, where God destroys an entire town because the men want to rape a male angel. And that is something that they would have taught us fairly explicitly. And this is why it's bad. And I kind of actually remember being like, how does that even work? I mean, I would imagine angels don't have gender the way humans do. Maybe they do. I don't know. And considering how much time I spent in Catholic school, you think that would have been answered by now? It's not. Um, the first time I got any idea about like the fact that people could have sex with non-angels and not get their town destroyed probably would have been sitcoms. Uh, I graduated high school in 2000, so I was uh, in high school during the age of must-see TV, and there was a ton of gay people on must-see TV, and even though they weren't super explicit about it, it might have been like Carol and Susan on Friends. The notion of them having like a satisfying sex life the way that uh, Susan, no, Carol didn't have with Ross, that might have been, that might have been it. Going back and rewatching all these things that I would have seen when I was a very little kid and realizing that I learned about gay culture because of this little moment, this little insignificant moment. And a lot of times it was actually a negative thing where I got in my head that like, if you do this, everyone's going to think you're gay and that's bad. It's actually been very therapeutic to go back and pick these things apart and realize that I've been entertaining this very silly idea in my head and I hadn't questioned it because I had no other sources of information about Queer people, gay men, gay sex, anything. And so that was all I had. And so that's all I had to go by. And that just kind of got codified into my brain. And in a way, like seeing it through TV and getting that information might have been the best delivery system in a way. Yeah. I mean, considering that like it was being filtered through fact checkers and advisors who'd be like, this is the thing to tell them, not this. And also those were scripts being written by Hollywood liberals. And they were giving a different concept of sex than I would have ever gotten in my hometown, so yeah. My name is Mike. I am 33 years old, and I am originally from Kansas. 
I was Catholic, so I went to Catholic school, like K through 12. So our sex ed was more just about like, I think abortion than anything else. <laughs> like my parents didn't talk about sex. Like they would drink and have fun and be loud and boisterous and all that, but there was like really no sex talk. First time I ever heard about sex, I was watching the Golden Girls and Three's Company. <laughs> we only had antenna television and like five channels. So I'd have to like bear crawl out the hallway quietly when the, my older brothers were watching it to absorb some dirty sex out of Golden Girls or Three's Company. <laughs> I feel like Three's Company was the earlier one. Golden Girls had reruns for so long. I watched it for a while, but Three's Company, I was really little in and I didn't even really get the Jack dynamic at all. I thought there were just more him chasing around flirting with the women and, and those vague clues to sex, most of which I didn't even get at the time. And just the playful, fun, intimate connection part of it is something being very desirable to do and Blanche's whole attitude about it of, hey, the most fun, interesting person there is also the one that gets the most sex. Like, hmm. I watched Oz as it live aired. I might have still been in like elementary school because I moved in the fourth grade. And I remember watching it in like the condo that I lived in until the summer before I started fourth grade. So I was like too young to be watching Oz. And so I learned a lot about sex from Oz. And um, that's not so great for understanding consent or anything like that. But I would say that like the combination of the two things, I had the science side and I had the very graphic prison sex. Um, and that's, yeah, that's it. That's where I learned about sex. Um, notwithstanding, it's still one of my favorite shows. I was really into this show. <laughs> This is so weird, but I was into this show called The Tribe. It was like a New Zealand-based like TV show, and um, I was like ten, I think, and they had they were having sex on the show, and I didn't understand like how it worked. Like it was um, heterosexual sex, and I was just like, how does it find? I don't know. I just like didn't know like, what the heck was going on, and I think that started like the wheels turning. I had a TV in my room at a young age and I used to, when there were like movies that would come on and there was like two women kissing or having sex, I was like, what's this? <laughs> at, late at night, I would look for, um, what is it like, talk sex with Sue Johansson. She was like an older woman and she would like, um, she would have like different callers call in and, and they would talk about their issues. And it was very um, straight a lot of the time, but there was some stuff that wasn't, and I was, like, very fascinated about that. It was, like, one of those, like, shows that should have, my mom should have, like, you know, done the parental controls for or something, but my mom was pretty lax. <laughs> That's, I got away with a lot there. <laughs> and finally, Jerusha Zachary and Nathan recall one major mainstream movie that educated an entire generation about erotic art and the initiation of sex. Titanic came out in fourth grade. 
Um, and the Leo DiCaprio, Kate Winslet thing was a huge deal in my fourth grade class. Had to have been around like sixth grade. And I think the first thing that was like, oh, that's really hot, oh God, was watching the Titanic. <laughs> when Leonardo DiCaprio uh, paints, um, see, I don't even remember who the woman is. So it says yeah. something about me. Um, Rose. Rose, thank you. And the whole part, like, oh, draw me, Jack. I just was like, oh, that's really hot to like have someone draw you. I just remember watching that and being aroused and being very confused what I was aroused by because I was aroused the fact that Leonardo DiCaprio was painting her. And so it was this like weird thing. And then they had sex in that like, caboose where it was getting all steamy and I was like, yes! The scene with the, with the, the handprint is the first time I really considered sex a thing. <laughs> it's the only thing I remember from the movie. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I couldn't understand who or what I wanted to be. I just wanted to be like a part of it. And so that was like a weird first crush like scene more than it was a person. And it was just like this weird fascination where I connected being erect to something in front of me versus like my just random boner. My mom kind of got a little bit uncomfortable, like, and like kind of looked over at me nervously, like, do I have to explain this kind of thing? And I was like, oh, they're not just having fun. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't have a word for it specifically at that time. No, my mom just kind of let me come to my own conclusions. Um, it's the same reason she didn't get upset when I was 12 and sang along to Shaggy's wasn't me. <laughs> she was just like, you keep doing that. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Fruit Bowl. Excerpts featured here are selected from each person's full-length episode from previous seasons of the podcast and have been re-edited in support of the episode's theme. Want to know more about this episode's featured interviewees? You can find links to each person's full-length interview in the show notes of this episode. Fruit Bowl is produced independently without any corporate media infrastructure or full-time staff. Help support our efforts to collect, archive, and share personal stories about queer coming of age by making a small monthly donation through Fruit Bowl's Patreon membership. Patrons get early access to episodes, behind-the-scenes updates, and exclusive video extras that are not available to the general public. Or promote your business by sponsoring an episode of Fruit Bowl or dedicate an episode to a loved one. Sponsorships and dedications are 100% tax-deductible through Fruit Bowl's fiscal partnership with Seattle's Northwest Film Forum. Fruit Bowl receives no direct funding from Northwest Film Forum, only the use of their nonprofit status to receive tax-deductible donations. Learn more at fruitbowlpodcast.com slash donate or write dave at fruitbowlpodcast.com for more information. Social media platforms often censor mentions or depictions of queer sexuality. Accounts are suspended or banned outright without notice or due process. As a result, promoting Fruit Bowl is an uphill battle, so we rely on you to help spread the word. Tell your friends about Fruit Bowl, rate, and write a review on your favorite podcast platform. You can find links to all our social media at fruitbowlpodcast.com. Fruit Bowl is created, produced, 
and edited by Dave Quantic. That's me. This has been a production of Cubed Media. All rights reserved. Thanks for listening.